0: Apple presents events at the Apple Store.
1: Please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Josh Korowicz
0: of MTV News. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for coming out uh, tonight, this early evening. This is going to be a fun one. Uh, Clark Gregg, as you know, Uh, Him from uh, television and film is one of uh, uh, the the greatest. He's one of my favorite guys. Honestly, I've talked to him a thousand times in the last five, six years, thanks to his film work, his television work. He's a great filmmaker, a great writer, a great actor. We're going to get into all of that tonight. Uh, And mostly we're going to talk about this great film called Trust Me, which opens on Friday that you guys should definitely check out. Uh, And to tease you a little bit, uh, here's a trailer right now for his amazing
1: new film. Check it out.
2: Sorry, it's closing night. We're completely sold
1: out. I'm Howard Holloway of the Howard Holloway Agency.
2: Oh, um, in that case, it's closing night and we're completely sold out.
1: Big breath in, exhale out. Hold that door! Charlotte, you look great. You still working with that guy, the, uh... Um, why don't you hit do your game thing so Meg and I can talk business? One seventy fifty on the bump. You wanna close it? Hold that thought. Okay, fine, 110. We're very excited. Hey, where are you going?
2: You're fired. No. Philip needs more now. He needs an Aldo Stankis.
1: Hello, Aldo, you Pollock poacher. Hi, Howard. I don't steal your clients. You're getting paranoid. <laughs> oh, ow! Hey, did you get some flowers? Oh, God, yes,
2: Howard. Thank you so much. <laughs> Plants hate me. Fine. Oh, they just.
1: I doubt that. You're not really her type. It's her type. Stone cold killers. Don't touch me! What's going on in here? An audition. It sounded so real. Who's your agent? Get out! How'd you get this number?
3: When he asked who my agent was. I told him it was you.
1: You did the absolutely right thing. It's the script, the becoming. From the books? No. I love them. It's amazing. It's like they wrote it for you. Are
3: you
2: going to start crying? No. God, no. Who's ready to sign some autographs? The studio
1: is never going to give her what you're asking for. Then I'm sorry, but we have to go. Now, I need you to hit that button so they know we're for real.
2: Guys, this is crazy. Come
1: on out of there. We're back, baby. You're going back on full salary. With a slight raise, I'm thinking, we'll talk. Aldo, what's going on? Howard.
2: Lydia's a rare talent. If this thing's as big as you say it is, and maybe we ought to get somebody in there that's been there before. That's not fair. I'm just asking for a
1: chance. There's a reason we found each other. I'm worried about what could happen if we lose. We won't lose. I lose a lot. You wait your whole life for a setup like this, and still it never happens. Ah! Maybe you wanna stop by for a nightcap? Nightcap? Never mind.
2: Is Dean Martin gonna be there?
0: All right, guys, here he is, writer, director, actor, Mr. Clark Gregg.
1: He's also a really good hugger. Thank you, Josh, for that superlative, way beyond deserved introduction.
0: We'll see. You're going to live up to it right here, right now. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations on the film, man. It's a it's a great piece of work. Uh, we I should say we're going to get to your amazing questions soon. So get them uh, you know teed up. Uh, we we want to hear from you guys. Uh, Tee them up, people. All right. Yeah. So Clark, as you may know, is unofficially the nicest guy in, in showbiz. The coolest See, guy.
1: The, uh, no, that's I, the definition of setting up someone that they will only disappoint. Well, <laughs> don't <laughs> I, call me that. What you son I was going to say.
0: <laughs> what I was going to say is, but based on your your two films that you have written and directed. Um, they're kind of darker character studies. That kind of belie the, the nice dude that's sitting next to me. Maybe. What do you think? What? What? <laughs> what if, if one were to not know you and just watch those two films, what do you think they'd make of the guy, the filmmaker?
1: What is wrong with you, bro? <laughs> um, I I don't know. It's it's a good point. I I think I might have a <sighs> problems.
3: Issues. Nice. nice. We're off to a good start. <laughs> oh,
1: jeez. I mean, I, I start out, the first movie I made, Choke, I read a book. They sent it to me to adapt. And I loved it. I thought it was, I thought it was the coolest rom-com I'd ever read. And uh, I later out found out from other people that they considered it somewhat risque, just because it was about a sex-addicted colonial theme park worker. And... Um, <laughs> And, you know, I, I later found out that my sense of humor and the things that I'm drawn to and find touching is just different than than some people. Um, but luckily, there's enough people, and perhaps some of you have joined us here this evening, who, who share that sensibility that people went to see it. Enough of them that I got a chance to make uh, another small film that I had cooked up about this... <laughs> He's not he, a slightly more advanced person than the uh, sex-addicted colonial theme park worker. He's a struggling former child actor who had a brush with greatness, who is now thirty-some years later still hovering in that in the in the scene of that crime as a as an agent for child actors, whom everyone dumps when they start to actually make any money to go to the much cooler nemesis, and who can blame them? Sam Rockwell, um, and I. Right, I know. I know. Let's give him a round of applause. He's not here, but yeah, the, he is actually the nicest person. Right? It's pretty cool. Yes. Um, and uh, so I wrote this piece, and the idea behind it—it's—it's it's a little different than the trailer. Is uh, I had this idea of a mashup that was kind of a classic film noir mixed with a kind of edgy comedy about the lowest tier of show business hell, and. Uh, and that's kind of what I did. And in the process of, I probably started—don't tell Sam this—but I, I kind of probably started writing this for Sam. But then I realized at a certain point that this really had to be this guy's last shot. And Sam's still kind of young and virile, and me not so much. So I, uh, I kind of—he he kind of got older and and more losery. And my friends all agreed that I, I should play it. And um, and since I was doing, uh, since I, I had this vision for it, as I said, I I couldn't really bring myself to try to pitch the mashup that I just described to any real directors. Um, I I kept myself on doing both those jobs and I kind of woke up in the middle of the night a lot uh, in the the months leading up to this thinking of other cool directors or actors I could give one of those jobs to, but I I never was able to do it. And and so I, I realized the only shot I had would be to get an amazing DP, so I got this incredible cinematographer, Terry Stacey, who had done American Splendor and some other great movies who I always wanted to work with. And, uh, and I called all of my best friends um, who are great actors, and I have an impressive list of friends at this point. Molly Shannon and I met just a few blocks from here at NYU in the late 1700s. And um, um, Bill Macy uh, was the teacher of my acting class at NYU. Thank you. and um, f- 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 Right. Um, You better not have said Hail Hydra, because it sounded a little bit like that. And you will be taken out. Um, I need you at all my events, brother. Um, Felicity Huffman was in that class. Sam Rockwell and I did a play together at the Orpheum on 2nd Avenue and a weird Canadian ensemble play where most people were naked, thankfully not me. And I watched Sam every night and just kind of fell in love with him. Then I saw him in Galaxy Quest and he became and remains my favorite actor from that. Um, Alice and Janney and I did a bunch of West Wings am I missing
0: uh, no I don't know I think you got it Well, okay. I was going to ask you you mentioned like uh, the decision to tailor it to yourself then and put yourself in it I mean is it I've talked to a lot of actors that or directors rather that have directed themselves It's it's got to be especially you know you're not This is not a hundred million dollar movie it's a limited schedule is it kind of mind numbing is it a little
1: bit was it as overwhelming as you feared it might be
0: how did you kind of keep your sanity I,
1: I thank you I, I really didn't want to do this I feel like you go oh yeah he wrote it he's directing it and he's going to star <laughs> it's just oh, I hate the way that sounds I just and and yet that's probably frankly what it is um there was a way that I just felt connected to how I saw this and to this role and uh I I frankly like Howard I turned around and I was about to really make a call to someone to play the part and I turned 50 (laughs) and uh and I thought "I, I never have gotten to play a part like this and I may never get to. Why am I going to give this to somebody else? I feel like if I can survive it, it it could work out. And I got about two days into it and I realized, oh, this, A, this might kill me. And B, I feel like Howard. I felt so completely hurled out of an airplane with like a couple of napkins and some string to try to make a parachute. And it felt really raw and frightening and in over my head. And yet it kind of was working for me and then I realized how smart it was to get all these brilliant people who could kind of work the tone that I'm interested in which is more like the 70s movies I love that's kind of funny in one minute and really sad in another and, uh, and they kind of I just really rode the brilliance of that ensemble cast and two other actors we haven't talked about the amazing Paul Sparks who you know is this kind of weaselly guy on Boardwalk Empire who you won't recognize in this movie as this kind of tough rural, Oklahoman father of the young prodigy that Howard finds. We couldn't make the movie unless we found one. We didn't think we could find one, and we started to shut things down. And my partner, uh, producer and casting director, Mary Vernou, who does all of David O. Russell and Darren Aronofsky's movies, walked in with this young girl, literally off a bus from Dallas, named Saxon Charbonneau, who, when you see this movie, she will blow you away.
0: Speaking uh, in particular about Saxon and, and the theme of the film, um, I'm curious like, what your experience has been with child actors, generally speaking, and, and maybe more importantly, the so-called momagers of the world, the, the, uh, the, the parents that sometimes maybe are a little too invested and too involved.
1: Um, I, we had an experience sort of similar to this. We started to put this film together. There was an actress who was kind of young and not well known and on the rise and special. And we read with her and I, I clicked with her and her mom was there and Sam and I, and she read some scenes and it was really clicking. And then right before we started pre-production, I got a, we got a call from her dad who said, you know, I, I, th- I think she's gonna get nominated for this last film she did. So we're gonna pull her out of your dark weird movie. And, I, and when you see the movie, you'll be like, seriously, what, did you read the script? What are you, are you gonna come beat me up now? Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and so yes, the, the thing about this is I've, Saxon herself has a really lovely, supportive family. This is in no way representative, but if you're like me, and let's hope for you that you're not, um, <laughs> you grew up watching kids in Disney movies or you know what have you, TV shows, and then you don't see them for a while, and then you see them on, you know, in my day it was called the police blotter, now it's called the internet. Um, <laughs> and there's something about it where, and this gets to kind of the themes that were underneath why I got so connected to it, there's something that's mo- that's all over the world and our culture specifically, that's most glowing, I think, in showbiz, which is this idea of that next big break is gonna turn you into some uber-creature and transform you into something else. And I think it's a, it's a dangerous myth that I have pursued most of my life.
3: <laughs> Thank
1: you. Good night, everybody. No, I'm sorry. What?
0: wasn't expecting that as the punchline, but good. Uh, before we uh, get to these questions, I do want to share some clips from this uh, a great film with you guys. The, anything you want to set up on this one? This is, uh, we call this a clip, Two Whips. Anything you want to say about it before we um, say?
1: it? Yes. Many, again, many, many years. Everything comes from my, my time here in New York, which is, I, I pray to move back as soon as Marvel kills me again. Um, <laughs> No, I, I probably jinxed myself. Knock wood. They're like, Kev Feige heard that and he's like, he wants to go. He wants to go. Um, get Hiddleston. No. Um, I did a guest spot when I was struggling. I don't know what. One of the many, many times I was about to give up and um, the, a guest star on a show that was shot here called CPW. Central Park West. Do they still call it that? That's what it was called. And uh, they Yes? Yeah, Awesome. Thank you for coming. And... Um, She, uh, Amanda Peet was also the guest star, and we kind of had coffee and, you know, had the bad food that, you know, was for the people who were guest stars. And, uh, and we kind of hit it off and always stayed friends, did a couple of readings, and, uh, you know, she's got young kids and a husband who's in Belfast killing everyone in Game of Thrones, which he writes. And, uh, she agreed to show up and do this, you know, for no money in, in a tiny trailer, and... She's remarkable, and uh, a lot of why the movie works is how special she is. So here's a scene where it's, you know, she's a neighbor of Howard's who lives in his kind of rundown apartment complex, who clearly is a little skeeved out by him, and you'll see why. I'm sorry, I got a client freaking out. These came for you. Oh, thanks, thanks so much. Wow, you look really, really, hey Ben, what's up, Ben? Okay. Hey, did you get some flowers? Oh God, yes, Howard. Thank you so much. Oh, please, I, I saw that you had some tulips in your window once, and then they were on sale at Trader Joe's.
2: Oh, you know, I, the, I, I didn't get them into water soon enough. No,
1: totally, totally. I'm sure it's weird though. They, they looked s- still really fresh.
2: You know fresh. what it is? Plants hate me. Oh, I, they just. I doubt that. They do. Much. You should probably. There's a bottom button. You're, I can see your. okay.
1: Uh, thank you for that. Your, Thanks. You got me back. Yeah! You got me back. All right. So
0: I'm I'm curious also, I mean, you've you've lived this, we've talked about this before, this kind of like split life in the kind of the different kind of worlds you've inhabited, these ginormous films. They don't get any bigger, obviously, than things like Avengers, et cetera. Um, Do you, are you able to apply lessons from working on that kind of scale of filmmaking to a a film of this type, which is, you know, uh, probably the the cost of the catering on, on Avengers? Is it apples and oranges or? Oh,
1: one week of catering, I think, would have covered the budget of this movie. Well, the short answer, Josh, um, is no. There's really, there's so little corollary. I will say that I had written this movie and I was starting to kind of put it together and then, uh, as I said, I had this unfortunate experience with this young woman's dad and um, we had to put it to bed and I went and did The Avengers, which was a, a fantastic experience and I got to be friends with uh, the director of that film and um, a new kid coming up, I can't remember his name, but he... Um, <laughs> At the end of it, he said, uh, I said, What are you doing? For God's sakes, I hope you're. I went to dinner at his house, and uh, I said, What are you doing? Please tell me you're going to rest after what I just saw you go through. And he said, Actually, no, I'm going to make a little Shakespeare movie here in my house. You want to be in it? <laughs> and two days later, I was making a little movie of Much Ado About Nothing. Um, that's so whorish, which I really wanted to be in because I was a big fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> Thank you. He so I can do this. We can go for a while, and I'll just get cheap applause. Um, <laughs> But I had so much fun doing The Avengers. It's a really cheap gag, and I don't get sick of it. I apologize. I apologize. Um, but I was kind of feeling like nobody wants to make this. I, I had already taken a kind of unusual premise, this tonal mashup of a movie, and then I had cast myself as the lead, and the other lead is a 14-year-old unknown girl. So it was what they, what they call not immediately commercial. And, um, and so... Uh, but then I, and so people weren't giving me a ton of money. I didn't think I could make it uh, with the resources I had. And then I did a bunch of do at Joss's house in 11 days. And he was immensely supportive of this script. He really liked the script and helped me kind of figure out how to get it done. And, uh, and so I went off and I was inspired more by that kind of, there is a way to do this. That said, one of the other many things that I had written myself into a corner with is there is a kind of fantastical element. There's a movie within the movie where Howard Holloway gets very connected to this. They're not really vampires, they're kind of like aliens that have wings. Um, In this movie, within the movie, the one the girl gets, and he gets very connected to that, and as he gets closer to his dream, and at the same time it feels like it might slip away, he gets a little bit less connected to reality, and we start to see some of that film. So that's suddenly in this tiny movie that we're shooting in 20 days. Oh, by the way, there's fantasy wing sequences and everyone just said, well, we'll, get, we'll just cut that later. We won't tell them. we'll just cut it later. And, uh, and, I, and there was no more money, and I know you're gonna have to figure out a way to do it without the wings, pal. And it wasn't gonna work for me, you know? That's not why I do independent films. I do them to try to push, push the boundaries and try new stuff. And so I called Victoria Alonzo, who's head of VFX at Marvel. And uh, I said, listen, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to find like, somebody who used to do this. Maybe they lost it a little bit. Now they're in a garage doing it. And I can pay them off in Red Bull, and maybe they'll do this. And they said, talk to these guys. They, they might have someone like that. They, they have people who come unhinged all the time. And so I went to, I set up a meeting at this place, Luma Pictures. And they had done a lot of the work on Thor, the destroyer, my friend, the destroyer who nearly killed me. And, um, and I went into their office and I was waiting and I could see they had this beautiful conference room. And it was all filled with donuts and beautiful coffees and stuff. And I said, I'll just, I see they still have this meeting. I'm going to wait out here. And they were like, no, that's for you. And I went in, and I walked, in. they literally, I thought they were gonna do some shield salute. They were like, <laughs> we're just so happy to have Agent Colson here. And, um, well, thank you, thank you. Um, <laughs> it was like, a, oh my goodness. And they were the coolest people in the world, and they showed up and kind of treated me as if I was Kevin Feige, head of Marvel, and delivered the most spectacular visual effects you will ever see in a movie of this minuscule budget. And uh, so that's kind of where my Marvel relationship really paid off.
0: Nice. Uh, just because I have to keep the, the train moving in because we have some awesome clips to share with you guys, uh, let's go right to the next one. This is another amazing actress that you were able to uh, bring into the fold, uh, Alice and Janney, in a negotiation scene. And Molly scene. Shannon, yeah. This yep. is
1: uh, at the very beginning of the movie. We see Howard with his you know, his protege at that time, a kid named Philip, who has panic attacks, um, getting ready to do this audition. Molly Shannon's his mom. She's putting a lot of pressure. They really need a job and um, it looks like it's gonna pan out. Take a look. Hey, pal, um, why don't you hit your game thing for a few minutes so Megan and I can talk business? Yeah. Oh, good, good job, Phillip. Great job.
2: Now, can I ask you, when would yeah. you um, need him Janice, to start?
1: Can you give us a sec? And then, so I just. I was just, all right. <laughs> this is so exciting. Yeah,
3: seems like a great kid.
1: The best, mm-hmm. wish it was mine. <laughs> We done? Yep. Okay, break of a lifetime. Big fat roll opposite whoever we get. I'm authorized to go 80 grand, take her to leave it. But if we can close it right now, we'll throw in 25K when it hits 100. That's just overscale to do fifth lead in a $30 million picture. Listen, Howard, I understand you want to glue yourself tight to young Phil and his tasty little milf over there, but he's got no quote. He's nobody. Oh, haven't you heard? He just got the new Nigel Skink picture. 110, run a show, 30 on the bump. 170, 50 on the bump. 170. Are you really f-ing high right now?
2: Meg, can I talk to you for a moment?
0: Are that, is that how
1: your contracts are negotiated, do you imagine, as well? At certain times in my career? Maybe not that recently? Yes, very much <laughs> like that. You know, can I make a suggestion, Josh? Please. I mean, you mean, you are the god of, of such Q&As, but I was one, since the next piece kind of connects to this and we want to have some time for, let's for right questions, let's go right into the next piece. This deal goes quickly south. Howard has suspicions as to w- whether it was a real deal at all uh, or whether it was meant to just uh, the possibility of his kid getting it to lure a fictional Lohan brother back into the fold. Uh, So that goes very south, and he turns around, and um, Janice, played by Molly Shannon, and young Philip, played by the amazing Griffin Gluck, are gone. And that leads us to the next clip. Guys? Guys? Philip? Hey, buddy. Okay, look, I know you're disappointed, but you did something really special in there, and nobody can ever take that away from you. Well, they just did.
2: Yeah, and you let it happen. Get in the car. Don't
1: Phillip. you listen to me, don't you see? They what? used Philip to close Tommy oh, Lohan.
2: Yeah, and isn't it your job to protect us from that? Aldo said something like this would happen.
1: Aldo, you talked to Aldo Stankis?
2: You know what? I guess it's a good time to tell you. Howard, you're fired.
1: No, we have a contract.
2: Oh, not anymore, we don't. Here you go.
1: Termination of services.
2: Listen, you were great when we first started out, but Philip needs more now. He needs an Aldo Stankus. No. Get in the car, Philip. But Aldo's Tommy's agent, don't you see? He did it this way to make you dump me. Well, guess what, Howard? It worked. No, Janice, please don't do this. Hey, hey.
1: What about us?
2: Oh, please. It was one drunk night, and I wish I'd been drunker. Janice?
1: Move out of the way, Howard. No, I'm trying to don't close do my door. No, way. Janice! Please, get away Janice. from my car. Buddy, roll down the window. Roll down the window, buddy. Oh, my Please. God. Please. Roll it down. Who's going to run lines with you, huh? You think Aldo's going to know what to do when you have a panic attack, do you?
2: No. Philip, close that window now. Ow, ow, ow. Get your hands off the butt, Philip.
1: You don't have to do this, man. You can come live with me.
2: No, he can't. Not without that emancipation thing from the judge. He can't. Roll up that damn window now. Hey, don't you love me
1: anymore? Hey. Look at me, you little bastard. You're going to sell me out. At least have the balls to look me in the eye. Get away
2: from the car, you freak. Janice, no.
1: No, Janice, wait.
2: Wait. Oh, Oh my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God.
1: I, thank you. I, I guess that would be that. Darker sensibility you were talking about.
0: <laughs> well, I, I know you well enough to know you got into this business so you could yell at children. Uh,
1: so That's why we all get in this business, <laughs> John.
0: Is working with, with actors like that, your young performer there and Molly Shannon, uh, and, and just riffing and, and sticking to the script for that matter, but the actual acting, is that the stuff that you're enjoying most as a, as a director, ironically? Like the stuff of working with the actors on set?
1: Yeah, that's very astute. That's the very first scene that we shot, the very first day of shooting. Um, I Yes, I believe I had met Griffin once. I, I knew Molly at NYU, and I bump into her parties, but we hadn't acted together in many years. And, you know, they show up, and we got a couple of cars. We got a parking garage. Cars seem, we don't have any money, so cars are kind of coming down, and we're stopping and waiting for the cars to go down. And, and, uh, and it's mad chaos, and then... Molly Shannon steps up, and there's a whole relationship there. And this 10-year-old kid who showed up refing one of my daughter's soccer games a month later walks in like he owns the joint. And I'm like, hey, listen, you're really terrific. He's like, yeah, I'm good. Let's go. Let's go. You want to do it? And um, he's just, you know, it's, he's got the composure that I wish I had, that Griffin Gluck. Uh, do we have
0: questions in the audience? Shall we start the, the fun process, the really fun part of this evening?
3: Hi, I'm your friend. I think you're the funniest guy in the world. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I believe you belong at the Genius Bar, okay, my friend. <laughs> okay.
3: Then I I I love your wife's fan too. I hope she's doing great. She's doing great. Okay, that's great. Thank you. I'll tell her you okay. said hi. Oh, hi. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you okay, so much. My, okay, my question. Okay. I, remember, I remember you made a movie with William H. Macy before. I think the title was State and Maine. I did yes, make a yes. film called State and Main. Yes, yes, so how was the union? It was... Fantastic or scary? How was it? The reunion. The reunion. Yeah. How was that? Scary or fantastic? Um, Thank you. It wasn't
1: scary. It was. It wasn't really scary because he's one of my oldest friends. Because I walked into a class at NYU, '85, '84, when he was the teacher, and he was wearing a pink Izod shirt with the collar up. I'm just going to say that's that that that's a fact. He was a brilliant unknown actor, Um, and I hold that over him to this day. But he's a guy who changed my life, and Felicity was in my class, and after we all got out of school, we had a theater company together, and you know, he's a great friend, but he's one of those friends who, he started out as a mentor and a teacher, so he's never, (laughs) he treats me like a friend, but I always, when when he shows up to do one day on my movie as a friend, I'm so nervous all day to make sure he feels like the king of the world until he leaves, so that was the scary part. Thank you, It's a good question. Well, Mr. Gregg, so you've been a writer,
0: a director, and obviously you're an actor. Now that you've held those other roles of director and writer, does it give you a little bit more insight as to what the directors want
1: as an actor? I'm still constantly baffled. Um, (laughs) No, yes, absolutely. I think that's why, I really, I moved to, I had a theater company as I set up town and I worked here a lot and did very little TV or film. And then I went out to LA to do a couple things and decided to stay and try that because I love movies so much. But nobody would hire me. And I had directed a play in New York about, called Distant Fires. It was actually down the street at the uh, Circle in the Square downtown. And it was a play from the 70s about a construction crew that was African-American and white guys and who had a fractious balance and then there's riots in their town, and it changes everything. And I was like, this is so weird. It's like the 70s, but it's kind of a good play. And it got moved, and it did well. And, I, and then I went out to LA for what they used to call pilot season, before shows got released in 12 in a night. And, um, and there was riots. And it became, and everything changed. And it felt tense, even though I didn't know that town very well. And it became very important to me to do that there. And so I, I spent a year trying to get that play up. I tried to do it in the park. And the L.A. police were like, are you crazy? No. And, and I finally got it up. I got a production of it with Sam Jackson uh, while he was shooting Pulp Fiction, and that's when he and I got to know each other. And uh, afterwards, some of my agents at William Morris, who had no interest in me as an actor, even though they represented me, said, um, you know, you should maybe try to direct a movie. I said, well, well, how would I do that? And they said, write a script that's so good that people will overlook the tremendous liability of you being attached as director. <laughs> And I was like, thank you for that clarity. That's what I'm gonna try to do. And I, and I wrote a script and it, it was weird, but it almost got made and then DreamWorks hired me to write a dead ghost movie that became What Lies Beneath. And so the next seven or eight years, I was really mostly an actor, but this weird thing happened where, I don't know if it was that was my name was in the trades as a screenwriter, that people started to call me in for stuff who wouldn't see me before, or that I went into the auditions and I didn't care quite as much, which can really help you it turns out, to not have your entire soul riding on whether or not you get waiter number three. Um, And and so I started doing, and that was really the the ethos at Atlantic, was direct one, hang the lights on this one, act in this one, and I find that writing makes me a better actor and directing makes me a better actor and acting makes me a better, I I probably said that one already, you know what I'm saying. Uh, They really fuel each other and I think there's a reason you're seeing a lot of Actors kind of make films and write them. You know, Seth Rogen does this a lot. And, you know, Favreau and, um, and Vince Vaughn, really. You know, a lot of people, you spend a lot of time, I've said this before, as a song on somebody else's mixtape. <laughs> and I, I'm really doing this as if my daughter was here just because it would make her want to crawl under the rug. But sometimes you want to get behind the wheels of steel. <laughs> I'm so addicted to bumming her out that I do it even when she's here. When she's not here, sorry. Somewhere she's bummed out right Somewhere now, I'm sure. Yes, totally, she's knowing that I said that. Yes?
3: Hi. Hi. Um, you said earlier that you were considering calling another actor before you took the role of Howard yourself. Who would you have cast if you hadn't taken the role?
1: It was Soupy Sales. But I had found that he was deceased. Um, okay, I'm gonna come clean here, because I feel like we're alone. Um, no, Clark, no. Clerk. no. <laughs> I'm too insecure to say so, because I feel like every time you see this go by, you'll go, oh, that's who I would have really rather seen do that. I don't, you know, it vacillated between a couple of different people, all more brilliant than I will ever be, but uh, it's not important, man. It's not important. Zach Galifianakis. (laughs) Sam Rockwell. Seth Rogen. (laughs) Hi. Hi.
3: Um, Folks, I was wondering if you remembered me from Comic-Con. I was wearing a Two-Face costume, I was with Make-A-Wish.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Didn't you show up, didn't you, no, you didn't show up at one of the premieres, did you?
3: Um, I I was at the panel where where they showed the pilot.
1: Oh yeah, that's right, nice to see you again. Thanks for coming down. Thank you. You've come a long way from San Diego.
3: Um, This is where I live.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Next time, don't tell me that, just be like, yes I did, sir.
3: So first I was wondering um uh, um uh, in the when you were first role, when you were first cast in Iron Man as um as Agent Coulson uh, it was such it was such a small role and then Wait, now- What? What what? what?
1: Yeah. I don't know what movie you saw pal but <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're right it was yeah. a small role. And then
3: and then Agent Coulson becomes just became such a huge kind of the
1: greatest thing in film. <laughs> Stop it! Yeah. Don't encourage that. I was kidding. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm being. I'm, now yeah. you see why my daughter doesn't
3: like me. And, okay. never, and but, so, did you ever? Did, so, did you like? Did you ever think that that like that Agent Coulson would be like one of the most legendary characters in film history?
0: Good question. Okay, now. That kid is doing the rest of the Q&A, by the way.
1: <laughs> if you knew what it cost for me to fly this kid here. Um, first of all, thank you. That's, that's nice. And I can't really talk right now. Um, if I had thought that, it's been a while since I lived here, but there was, right near to where I used to work uh, at the water club parking cars, there was a mental hospital there. Um... <laughs> called Bellevue. And if I had suspected, then, that this would... If I had even said to anyone, even in my... I mean, because believe me, when you have what some crazy people call a small part, you spend a lot of your time going, Man, what if they just added more scenes? And then what if, at the end of the movie, Pepper Potts was like, Thank you, Agent Coulson. And then they're like, Greg, come on, we need you. We need you. You're in the background of this shot. It just doesn't happen. And I'm so lucky because... John Favreau was my neighbor down the street. He said, we got this tiny part, it's like four lines. I was really on the fence because I'd done a couple of movies where people were like, who were you in that? And it was really hurting my ego and they said his name was Agent and he didn't have a last name and I'd made a really firm thing with my agents. Like, I won't play any more characters that don't have names. I'm not playing driver. And, um, And then here comes this guy, Agent, but it was this amazing cast. And I loved Iron Man when I was a kid, and my wife, thank God for my wife on so many levels, was like, come on, you love it, just do it, so what? And I was like, you're right, okay. And then Marvel made me sign a three-picture deal, I was like, for four lines? <laughs> but they were still figuring it out, you know? They were like, and so they, they had me there, and Something kind of clicked. And there was like me and Robert Downey starts improvising. And I'm like, yeah, we're working on it. And I start improvising a little bit. And they're like, well, and next time I show up, um, Favreau goes, the Marvel guys are digging your stuff. (laughs) And I thought that meant I'd get six lines. (laughs) And instead, they kind of booked me out and they started writing more stuff. And then I was talking about the Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division. And since I had read comics, I kind of read those pages. And I went... (laughs) <laughs> and I had to go over and try to be really cool. I was like, is this, I mean, I mean, that spells out. <laughs> S.H.I.E.L.D. And they're like, oh yeah, you're S.H.I.E.L.D. You're the guy who represents S.H.I.E.L.D. And I was like right. <laughs> and, uh, and it just turned into, and then they were like, you're in Iron Man 2, and I was doing a scene in Iron Man 2. Forgive me, some of you may have heard this, but this gentleman deserves a thorough answer. <laughs> I was doing a couple scenes in Iron Man 2, and, uh, and they said, okay, in this takes. tell him you gotta go. Tell Tony you gotta go. You're going to, uh, you gotta go to New Mexico. And I was like, okay, okay. but did you see the shield I was holding? Did you, see? it was like, it was caps. And they were like, shh, 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 <laughs> Tell him you gotta go to New Mexico. And I said, oh, yes, sir, yes, sir. And I did that a couple times. At the end of it, I went to one of the producers. I said, what's, what's in New Mexico? Why am I going to New Mexico? I thought they were just writing me out of that movie because they weren't now liking what I was doing. <laughs> and they said, oh, Thor, you find the hammer. And I was like, oh! I mean, I'm gonna do this really quickly. Then I'm at Comic-Con for the panel of Thor. A guy comes up to me and I turn and whoop, it's Joss Whedon. And he says, I'm so sorry, I've been meaning to call you. You have a big part in the Avengers. (laughs) At this point, I'm determined that this is just a mean prank. (laughs) And then I get a call a couple weeks later and he introduces me as part of the the Avengers on stage at Comic-Con. The fact that I'm still breathing after that, I can't explain. The call, the next call was, Josh wasn't kidding. You have a big part. I was like, this is amazing. They're like, yes, what happens to you is what brings the Avengers together. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and, and then it was this really sad day and I put on the suit for the last time, but I had this amazing scene and then that Asgardian bastard kills me. <laughs> I know he's cute. <laughs> Not to me. <laughs> and, um, and then I go to start making, trust me, I brought it around, thank you. I brought it around. And I get a call the day before we start shooting saying, You might not be dead. And the rest is his ABC television history. Thanks for your fantastic question. Uh, I'm flattered that you think that.
3: Um, um, one thing: um, Would the glue of the Avengers please sign my shield? I'm and sorry, no autographs.
1: <laughs> of course I will, of course I will. Well, let me do it afterwards so I can okay, answer a few thanks. more questions. I promise you, I'll probably do it. <laughs>
0: What what was your experience like in Iron Man and the Avengers and working with Robert Downey Jr.? And are are you going to be coming back in Avengers Age of Ultron? Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Before Twitter, I might have answered this, right? Um, No, no. uh, First question, uh, Iron Man, Avengers... Robert Downey. Robert Downey... He's as awesome as he seems. I mean, I, I would look so forward to the days I would go there and get to act with him because his process is just different. I never know what that... Even when he's saying the same lines, it's just suddenly there's a guy playing Galaga. Where was that? That wasn't in the script. And he's got... He's just... You're suddenly so present and so alive just trying to respond to what he's doing that it brings out the best in me. And I found it to be as exciting and inspiring, and I felt like I learned a ton just from the days I got to work with him. Again, the day that I walked, as someone who read some comics, I thought I was a nerd till I went to Comic-Con. I went, oh, okay, no, I don't don't rate. But to walk onto the helicarrier my first day and realize not just that I'm going to do a scene with ten of the best actors I've ever seen, but (laughs) Natasha Romanoff, Clint Barton, Bruce Banner, Tony Stark, Thor... He doesn't have like a Donald. Um, <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> nice. Uh, I don't know about it. Age of Ultron, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. I feel like I would've heard something by now, but I do every once in a while get a weird text in that same alien alphabet that Colson was writing at the end of uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, and suddenly I'm on a plane somewhere. So nothing's impossible, but I, I don't think, I, I'm a little busy with Hydra and, and being the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. Thank you, Evan. It's a great question.
2: Um, hi. Hi. So you never mentioned the transition between going from a movie to uh, to being some, like, the glue of the Avengers to going to a television show. Can you explain the transition for that?
1: From from the cinematic universe to the Marvel, the MTU? Um, I think I just made that up. Um... Uh, it was really scary, it was really damn scary. I've seen how long it takes to shoot one of those sequences in the Avengers, and it takes about three times or two times as long as we get for a whole episode. We're also in the, we're dealing with characters that people have known for 25, 30 years, huge budgets, and as I said, a ton more time. Suddenly, I'm on television, I'm no longer dead, <laughs> but clearly I don't know really how that happened, and I've got a brand new team of young people, both actors and S.H.I.E.L.D. members, um, trying to bring the this very cinematic universe to television. And it's an experiment. And some people are into it, some people not so much. And some people are more impatient with it. And I think it takes a minute. It takes a minute to find out how that's gonna work. Some people are showing up every week and they're, every time they're throwing their remote down that Hulk wasn't there. <laughs> and, I, and I understand that, but. The point of the show was to try to bring to television the thing people responded to Agent Colson about, which is there's someone in this world who will stand up to these people, like the guy I mentioned earlier, um, even though they have no superpowers and they're very mortal. And that's really the focus of the show. And they had a secret, which is they were gonna try something revolutionary, which is the first hints of Hydra showed up on our show on a Tuesday. Friday, S.H.I.E.L.D. is demolished in Captain America the Winter Soldier, and then the remainder of our season plays that out. And spoiler alert, plug yours if you haven't seen it, suddenly I get to show up in the last episode of the season and not just evaporate the great Bill Paxton in a way that truly made me happy, (laughs) but I also get to, somebody did a really great meme, which is right after Sam hands me my gun from the Avengers, which was really nice to see that again. the destroyer gun, when you absolutely, positively need to kill every super soldier in the room. <laughs> and then he's calling me Director Colson and explaining that the reason they use this forbidden Save an Avenger initiative is because Colson in his mind, is an Avenger. <laughs> uh, Again, I, I'm, I'm, I only cry once in a QA, and a so <laughs> I, I don't want to keep going. It's, that's been the task. I'm really grateful to the people who have stuck with us. I really, people have been really cool. As I've done the press for for Trust Me, a lot of people would like to talk also about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and a lot of people who've stuck with us seem to be really glad they did. I'm really excited about what's coming next year because I do feel like there is an element. What's really exciting about being part of Marvel is they're telling a story across multiple platforms with different chapters and different things belong in different ones. And... I think it's really exciting to be doing television right now, period. And I'm excited to be bringing this kind of funny, dark pop culture mythology to television. Um, and I guess that what carries over is, I'm really excited to be bringing a film like this out with the help of the amazing guys from Stars and Paladin who have supported this film as if it was an Avenger. And, um, <laughs> You know, what's what's amazing about the fans and friends that I've made through doing um, Marvel stuff is we're all very active. uh, And people, the reason this film is getting a life, even though it's unusual at a time when people aren't necessarily rewarding that, is because people like you have come and been active and shared that and passed it around. So I'm really mostly grateful to all of you for coming out and for for doing that. So thank you so much. Uh,
3: Oh, wow, Hi, uh, my name's Joey. This is gonna be
1: the meanest one of all. Uh,
3: We'll see, Um, okay. (laughs) Take the mic, take Take the the mic! mic. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I promise uh, tomorrow before work I will catch Trust Me, a matinee morning show. And um, a few years ago, at the end, a New York Comic-Con Marvel panel for Avengers, you sang a very interesting Avengers theme song. And I want to ask if you could please sing it here again.
1: I don't remember it. (laughs) There's a guy named Chris Hardwick, who I now have become friends with and really love. I'm standing backstage. as the first clip of The Avengers. is being shown at New York Comic-Con. New York Comic-Con is suddenly big, possibly because of that, and they're playing some really hard, like thrashy metal. And I start making up a song. Um, we're The Avengers. We're a dysfunctional family.
2: <laughs>
1: we have muscles so bulky, and we have a hulky. That's what I'm singing to myself, because as I said, something's a little off. Damn that Hardwick hears me doing this, calls me out in front of 4,000 people, and I end up having to not only sing it, I think Mark Ruffalo was giving me some like z- Rob Zombie kind of m- mouth riffs. Um, it, not only was it, did I almost incinerate from embarrassment, it ended up on YouTube. And that's where you will have to catch it, my friend. <laughs> there for all eternity.
0: Uh, Guys, thanks so much for your awesome questions uh, tonight. Check out Trust Me This Friday in theaters and give it up for Mr. Clark Gregg. Thank you.